Blog Talk Radio. Bobby Eaton Show. This is where we tell our stories, always right here in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So you can dial that number at 646-716-5525, KBOB 89.9 FM. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. In the studio, uh, Miss Deneen Brown, you know, from the Washington Post is here. Christy Williams is here in the house. And um, my favorites, of course, Charles Harper and Damali Wilson. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Is How everybody fantastic? Yes. Fantastic. Everybody doing good? It's cold. It is. Yeah, I'm I, over I, it. Ooh, yeah, I Real use, cold. <laughs> totally yeah, over I use it. my boat. You use your boat. I, 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 I said, I'm done, with, I'm done with cars, Bobby. I'm done on days like this. Man, who you telling me? Yeah. It is cold here. We've been going like this for the last how many days now? Three, three days. Three days. Three days, right? That's three horrible. days of this cold weather, stuff like that. I'm like, I step outside. I say, well, I'm going back inside. You know, <laughs> right. I'll be, I'll, I, my car been parked for two days. Right. <laughs> I haven't been anywhere, you yes. know. But, boy, we got a great show going on for you guys, so. Tell a family member, tell a friend, somebody, call somebody, you know, let them know what's going on. We're going to be talking about these graves, you know, here yes. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, excavation of these graves graves, and uh, what it means to us and what it's all about. How did it get started and stuff like that? So I guess I'm going to start with you, Christy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Christy Uh-oh. In the house. <laughs> I'm going to start with Christy. <laughs> Christy. Christy Williams, tell our audience how this all came about. Well, you know, I have to go back and talk about our former state representative, Don Ross, um, Maxine Horner, you know, that dream team that they had in the race riot commission report, um, because they actually discovered the grave, you know, um, that long ago, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that, that they was are, back in maybe like the eight seventies. Oh no, that was 80. that was um, 2001, I believe, or 2000, wow. 2001. And um, with some graves back in them days, right. they already just, yeah, <laughs> they just bought it to the forefront. Well, right. they, they bought it to the forefront. They had mm-hmm. the scientists out there to look for the graves. They found anomalies in the in the grave site at Oakland Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, and former Mayor Susan Savage at that time, she stopped the dig, so no one got to dig. Oh, she stopped it. She huh? stopped it, um, stating that they couldn't dis- uh, disturb the other uh, bodies that was there in the cemetery at Oakland. So this we've been knowing this for some time. Um, as we know, Clyde Eddy, he was 10 years old when he seen... Um, you know, people put digging the mass grave and putting bodies in from the massacre. So it was just folklore at that time. Right. Um, 
you know, and then one day, Janine um, Brown decided to do a story <laughs> on the mass grave, and uh-huh. um, city councilor Vanessa Hall Harper and myself, we took a picture in uh, Oakland Cemetery with shovels, and Janine got the picture, put it with her story, and it went crazy. <laughs> it just went crazy, huh? It went crazy. It went crazy. And uh, so that's how we got here. That's how we got here today. So I think my question would be, Deneen, why did you decide that you wanted to do a story? Um, and how did you even know about um, the massacre and what had happened here in Tulsa? Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you. Um, so I have been a reporter with the Washington Post for 35 years. Wow. Um, my people are from Oklahoma. I was born here. My part. Tulsa? I don't know. No. <laughs> no. I'm, I'll put it this way. I'm from the city. I was born in the city. You know what that means. Okay. <laughs> and, city. In uh-huh. Oklahoma, they uh-huh. always say the city. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, but my, my father has a church in Tulsa that he built by himself. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, my father is a minister here. Um And um, I I like to explain the story this way, just to give you a bit of of context. Right. So um, two years before I got to Tulsa, my editor at the Washington Post started a blog called Retropolis, Retroopolis. Mm -hmm. And it focuses on history. Um, And it's a really popular site at the Washington Post. And I um, began to write a number of stories about black history. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the blog is if something happens in the news, this team of reporters, we specialized in diving back into history, sometimes in a matter of hours, researching, sometimes reading, I might read three or four books on deadline, call up a professor, emerge, write a narrative, write a story that's published, sometimes within hours wow. of getting the assignment. So hmm. that kind of beca- became my specialty. And, um in the most recent years, writing about black history. So right before I came to Tulsa, I was assigned to go to Montgomery, Alabama, mm. where I covered the lynching memorial there, yes. Peace and Justice Memorial. Yes. That's powerful. I, yeah. inter- I interviewed powerful. the genius Brian Stevenson. Yes. I interviewed yes. Brian wow. Stevenson. I, I visited the memorial if you haven't had a chance to go there, it's a really powerful yes. place to be. And the way they designed it is you walk up a sloping hill side, and then these, they call them monuments. They hang just so that they hit you right in the face. Mm-hmm. And they have the names of all the black men, women, and children who were mm-hmm. died by lynching yes. of white mobs, thousands of names. It's a powerful place to be. It is. And then as you go further into the memorial, the the monuments rise. They look like vertical coffins. They rise until they're over your head, and you can see the counties where they were lynched, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an indictment against the county. Right. So that's the context. Mm -hmm. I fly from Montgomery, Alabama, back to D.C., and then the next day I fly to Kansas, where I'm on the board of trustees at my university, Mm -hmm. KU, drive to Wichita to visit my mom, and then I drive to Tulsa to visit my father. And I say to my father, 
let's go have lunch on Black Wall Street. I want to see it. I just want to see it. And so we went to the Greenwood Cultural Center and um, took in all the history that's on the walls there. I was profoundly impacted by everything that I saw in the Greenwood Cultural Center, including the display of the Tulsa Race Massacre survivors. And then we go to have lunch at Wanda J's. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, some soul food, right? And so I'm sitting there with my father having lunch, and I look around on Greenwood Avenue, and I notice they built a minor league baseball stadium down here. Well. There's a gleaming apartment building down here. Mm-hmm. There's a yogurt shop, a yoga studio. And having been from Washington, where I know the signs of what we call gentrification. Right. Wow. Because um, um, historically, black areas in D.C. have been that and so-called, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. gentrified. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have problems with that word. But it essentially means people coming in and erasing what was there before. Mm -hmm. Right. And my thought as I was sitting there with my father at Wanda J's cafe was, oh my God, this is the site of one of the worst incidents of racial violence against black people in U.S. history, Tulsa. I mean, I didn't know about the Tulsa race massacre. And I'm like, this is sacred ground. This is sacred ground. There's a baseball stadium. I mean, literally. I mean, just coming in from the outside, it just, there was a contrast, Mm -hmm. a contradiction. Right. And again, having just been at that Peace and Justice Memorial in in Montgomery, which gave me context where they were honoring what happened across the country and then coming here and seeing baseball stadium. It just it just didn't jive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I fly back to Washington and I'm telling my editor, who's amazing, about my vacation, and she says, "Oh my God, that's a great story." She says, "Black Wall Street is being gentrified, so write that story." And I wrote it, and um, one of the editors said, and the story said, "Hey, what about this?" report from 2001, which Christy just mentioned, the Tulsa Race Riot Commission report. Whatever Mm -hmm. happened to that? Mm -hmm. And uh, then the Washington Post decided to send me back to Tulsa to do more reporting. And I talked to my dad, who watches the news here, and my stepmother, Betty. And um, my dad said, Nene, that's what he calls me. Nene. Nene. Oh, <laughs> he right. said, now we know. Right. Now, now you know. Uh, yeah, now. Right, Nene. I'm, yeah, Nene. I'm, I'm back home. Uh-huh. So my dad said, Nene, you know, you ought to talk to that councilwoman. She'd be given, well, he, he, he doesn't talk like that. <laughs> she gives him heck at the city council. Mm-hmm. You should call her. And he got me the name that was Vanessa. Right. And I called Vanessa from Washington and I said, um, I thought she had an entourage and, you know, a press secretary. <laughs> right, and, right. and I think she may have answered the phone. And I was like, really surprised. I was like, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Janine Brown, a reporter at the Washington Post. You know, I'd like mm-hmm. to come to mm-hmm. Tulsa to work on the story. And she said, you know how Vanessa talks, she said, come on. 
Come on. Come on. <laughs> and, oh you know, and I get there, you know, because, you know, council people, you know, in other cities are. Um, so <laughs> I get to, she gives me the, you know, her, come to her house, basically. It's a Sunday. And I walk in, and I'm nervous, right? I'm always nervous on interviews. So there's a, a woman sitting at, at the table. And and Vanessa's in her kitchen, and cooking, cooking, yeah. And so I and I tell my students now, I'm a professor also. I tell my students, you never know who is in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You have to acknowledge the power. Mm-hmm. That was Christy sitting right there at the counter. <laughs> right. yeah. And so we talked. I think we did an interview at the kitchen counter for a good hour and a half, and they were telling me everything about the mass graves, and then they were so accommodating Mm -hmm. of their time. They said, come on, get in the car. We're going to show you, right? Wow. And they made me walk down the street archer Mm -hmm. with my hands up in the same way that the massacre survivors had to march after that massacre with their hands up at gunpoint to the convention center. Christy took a picture. She made me feel it, right? And then we went to the steps to nowhere. She ma- took a picture of me with my hands up. So I got to feel the story, feel the pain on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then they said, let's go to the graveyard. And we drove back there in the graveyard. And um, Vanessa and Christy get out of the car and they stand on the ground and they said, this is where Clyde Eddy said the bodies were buried. So they made, they made the story come alive. You understand? Right, right. It was Christy and Vanessa, who introduced me to the story and made me really feel it. And then not only that, they introduced me to Kevin Ross mm-hmm. and Chief mm-hmm. and, you know, Reverend, well, Reverend Turner mm-hmm. and um, Tiffany mm-hmm. and other powerful voices in the city. As you know, Christy is a great connector. Right. <laughs> and true. I mean, she's just amazing. Yes. And um, so I write the story, and as Christy says, it lands on the front page of the Washington Post with their picture. And then uh, I think Christy is in Florida with Vanessa at a conference, and mm-hmm. she calls me. I'm sitting at my desk. She's like, the mayor is going to reopen the investigation. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so what year was this that, that this took place, that this article came out? Do you remember? It was September 2018. Mm-hmm. Okay, 2018, so a couple of years ago. Yep. Wow. So it's just been a work in the process since then. Mm-hmm. You know, just of, of trying to get that open. And so, Christy, what was it like? What was the next step after after you got the word that the mayor was going to reopen, um, mm-hmm. you know, this mass grave investigation? What what happened then? Yeah, I want to ask, was that a surprise? It was a, it was a huge surprise. So, as Denise was saying, Vanessa and I and uh, Dr. Crutcher, we were at uh, the Nicole conference um, about police reform. Uh, and our phones just started blowing up while we're literally like in a class. <laughs> like, and um and and we were like, What in the world? And yeah. then so I uh I believe it was Nate, Nate Morris and I had he had called and I called him back and I said, What is going on? And so they had a meeting at Pastor Turner's um at Vernon AME Church and um we the article had came out and they were started talking about it at this um, at this meeting, and then it, it was Doctor, it was Pastor Turner who uh, 
challenged the mayor with that article. And then, you know, when we heard that he was going to reopen it. And um, during that time, we couldn't even focus on anything else because we were just getting calls for interviews from all over. And uh, it was so crazy because Dr. Crutcher and uh, Vanessa and myself, we just split all the interviews. (laughs) So we all were trying to, you know, accommodate. Yeah. and, 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 And so when I got back home, we, again, we learned that he was going to reopen it, and so um, Vanessa had a meeting with him, and she demanded that there would be an oversight committee. Sure. And she uh, picked certain people, including myself, Chief, um, Pastor Turner, um, Maxine Horner, um, and some others, because she knew you know, there was going to be some stumbling blocks and somebody have to be there to challenge and push during mm-hmm. the process. Right. You know, I was shocked that the mayor even considered even doing it. Mm-hmm. This pre- because I know the previous mayors and stuff, they didn't want to have nothing to do with it. Right. You know, but mm-hmm. this mayor decided to go ahead and let's go forward mm-hmm. as far as seeing what's going to go on. Right. You know, and so what was the first thing that you did, Christy, when you guys, you and Vanessa, I saw couple of pictures with you and just you and Vanessa out there at Oakland, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, what was the first move? Well, I talked to Kevin Ross and, you know, and you know how Kevin, Kevin, oh, he yeah. just, he Kevin said, Ross. yeah, he said, girly, <laughs> look what that's y'all did. And so, um, you know, we were, ca- we were just happy that um, we felt heard, mm-hmm. you know, right. and, and and we were going to embark on this process of, of, you know, finding our ancestors of Greenwood. And, and so we were just really excited about it. We prayed, we, we rejoiced, and then we just started the process and, um, and just really, you know, making sure that we're watching and listening uh, and pushing back when need be because, the well, process were, is not as easy as people think it is. Yeah. And, so, and they were taking their time, too. Yeah. I mean, it was like every time you were having a meeting, it was always some delay or some reason, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and they just, it was mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I didn't know what to think because yeah, I, I, I think I saw it on Facebook and I just saw right. you and Vanessa in the cemetery and shovels. So I told my wife, put the kids away. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what has happened, but the, put the kids away. The kids Something away, is huh? serious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then I looked above and I seen the Washington Post. Right. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. okay, this just got real. And then mm-hmm. I clicked on the story, and that's why, Denine, I'm so happy to just have you here in this time we've been able to spend because I, it was just a phenomenal article. Right. So it makes me feel like that's what encouraged Merbinum now that this spotlight is. So mm-hmm. we got to do something. We can't just sit. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now, you know, so um, that that was my response to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little extreme, but that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like, I mean, all honor and credit goes to the activists mm-hmm. who have been on the story for years, right. decades, right. working the ground here. Don, mm-hmm. as, uh, as uh, Christy said, State Representative Don Ross mm-hmm. pushed that ball up the hill, mm-hmm. advocated that, that people be educated about uh, what occurred here, the massacre, pushed for legislation, wrote that amazing Tulsa race riot report, that's mm-hmm. what it was called, and um, 
got got those scientists here in 1998 and 99 to do their ground penetrating radar and advocated for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all, and I say this well, in all sincerity, that the people here in Tulsa have kept the story alive. Right. Kevin Ross went out in 1998 or the 90s and interviewed as many survivors as he could find and then recorded their stories. Mm-hmm. He did. Put them up, you know, put that mm-hmm. up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you had Ogletree and DeMario mm-hmm. uh, Simmons, Solomon Simmons. Yep. Mm-hmm. He was part of that legal team and, and um, the uh, Johnny Cochran, yeah. you know, uh, pushing that uh, case for reparations with the remaining survivors mm-hmm. all the way to the Supreme Court and um, and then telling their stories and, and, and interviewing them before they passed on, right? Mm-hmm. And also documenting how when they got that decision back from the Supreme Court, talking about um, how crestfallen the, the survivors were standing mm-hmm. on the steps of the Supreme Court as mm-hmm. though that were the end of the story, right? Mm-hmm. But as we know, without people, mm-hmm. it's never the end. That's right. Right. As mm-hmm. um, the, the, I always like to say, the theme of the Smithsonian's um, uh, Museum, National Museum of African American History and Culture, when you go into it, the theme is, but they pressed on. Mm-hmm. It's resilience, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It, there's a resilience that our people have. Uh, despite the atrocities and despite the racial terror that we have endured. So, again, just to sum up, what I'm saying is people on the ground in Tulsa have been fighting this fight a long time. I'm just a writer. You know, I wrote the story. And I continue to come back to Tulsa to write the story at every phase of the investigation. Um, I told a friend this week, you know, during this crazy pandemic, I'm afraid to get my hair done. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to get my nails done. Afraid to go to the gym. Terrified of going to the grocery store. But the minute they say the city of Tulsa is going to physically dig for <laughs> our ancestors, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. let me get on a plane. <laughs> let, me, let me check into a hotel. Right, right. And you should see me on the plane with my visor and my mask. But I'm, I wanted to be on the ground wow. and I wanted to be here. Mm-hmm. By writing this story in the Washington Post, what kind of response have you gotten personally for writing this story? Oh, I don't know. I mean, as I say, I'm a writer. Yeah. That means that you write the story, right? I'm not doing the work. They're doing the work. Right. And then I'm interviewing. I I don't know how many times I call Christy. Hey, Christy, what's going on? (laughs) She's like, you know, you disappear. And I'm like, yeah, I'm out here working on a story about Harriet Tubman or Frederick (laughs) Douglass. (laughs) And then, you know, I'm reading all these books. And then I'll pop up and I'm like, hey, what's going on in Tulsa? So, I really feel, you know, my job is to write, right? Mm-hmm. To write the stories. Mm-hmm. Try to keep a distance from the story. You're supposed to maintain the appearance of objectivity, right? Right. And, but I write the stories and I, with such power, you know, mm-hmm. from the ancestors, I'm inspired to write. You know, there's a passion right. in my writing. And, um, as I said, it's the passion is so great it will make me get on a plane and fly through two or three red states. Right. 
<laughs> you know what? Wow. You know, the first time I came out here in July, I flew through St. Louis, and people were walking around with no mask. Mm-hmm. And in St. Louis, in the St. Louis airport, oh, I had yeah. a five-hour layover, mm. and I'm like huddled in a corner with my back turned. <laughs> um, and then I get on the plane, and people don't have a mask on or they have the mask just under their noses and they're singing and laughing and shouting. And I'm like, uh, they should just be quiet. (laughs) And, um, you know, we, our people have a power to us. So in that moment I thought, you know, I asked the flight attendant to ask them to wear the mask and they, he was really meek and mild about it. And so I was like, this is life or death for me. So I stood up and I said, look, don't attack me. <laughs> Don't attack me, but can you please put wear your mask properly? Mm-hmm. And they just stared at me. And I sat down and put the hood over my head. But I was like, I'm on my way to write the story. <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta survive this right. fight. Right. Yeah. I gotta get I gotta there. Right. Yeah. Let me say, because we got a lot of people listening in. And, and, and one, which this would be a little different, but a lot of people are saying, wait a minute. So this is going to be a writer, Ms. Deneen Brown from the Washington Post. Wait, she black? She a sister? <laughs> so a lot of people, you know, because I don't know no writers from the Washington Post until I met you. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of asking, what is that journey like to get to the Washington Post? Yeah, how did you get, how did you how did you get, get in that yeah. position? Um, as I said, my people are from Oklahoma. My dad is a de- descendant of a Creek freedman. I was born here. I still have people here. My grandmother was born in Boley. Okay. Her All birth, right, birth mother lived in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have people in Oklahoma City, Holdenville, all over. My cousin is probably listening in Oklahoma City. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, Marvin. Right. <laughs> and um, I grew up in Wichita, and there, I did graduate from school, high school in Wichita, and then I went on to KU. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Um, Jayhawk. But I was always, as a little girl, if you ask my my father and my stepmother, Betty, I was always an artistic little child who, you know, could be seen climbing a tree, playing my flute, (laughs) um, writing and reading poetry, uh, just very creative. Um, I couldn't march in the marching band. I could write. I could always write for some reason. It was just kind of my natural talent. You know, mm-hmm. everybody has a talent. Absolutely. And so I end up at KU on an academic scholarship. And um, today, earlier today, I was on a panel about anti-racist, anti-racist educators, you know, those <laughs> who advocate for black students on predominantly wow. white right. campuses. And so whenever I talk about my career as a journalist, I really always give a shout out to my professor, Suzanne Shaw. Mm-hmm. She is a white woman, but... She plucked me out of this obscure writing class, and she became my advisor. And she's real bossy, right? Real bossy. Yeah, and so, um, you know, I'm just a 17-year-old, and, you know, she's telling me what classes to take. Don't take this Shakespeare class. Take that Shakespeare class because this professor is better. And I'm like, okay, even though it's 8 o'clock in the morning, I'll take the class. <laughs> and um, hired me for, for my first writing internship in Coffeyville, Kansas. Oh, wow. Coffeyville, Kansas. And uh, next summer, I was at the Wichita Eagle Beacon when it was still the Eagle Beacon. Wow. And um, by my senior year, I had so many job offers. I was sitting in my dorm room crying because I was telling people, had to tell people no because I was going to take an internship at the Washington Post. 
Oh, wow. wow. So I go to the Washington Post with this amazing amount of confidence because I had gotten an A in this really hard editing class. <laughs> so I'm ready. And so, right. You know, and, and literally, I didn't, couldn't pack everything in my suitcase. So I, I know this sounds country, but I did put, <laughs> put my overflow in two, like, black bags, garbage bags. And so I, I get off the plane in Washington and my aunt Belva is standing mm-hmm. there, my cousin Melanie and Monica are standing there and here comes their country cousin. <laughs> and, I, and I just have the biggest smile because I'm in Washington. So, you know, I land in this newsroom and as I said, I kind of knew my craft, was confident because of my education at KU. And at the end of the summer, Ben Bradley hires me. Yeah, wow. the executive, oh the legendary executive. Wow. So when I go out now to interview some people, you know, people do stereotype and underestimate you. They're like, are you really a reporter? Are you really a writer? I'm like, yeah, I'm Ben Bradley hired me. You know, the mm. one who was in um, all the presidents. Yeah, men. right. <laughs> and um, so I've had been at the Washington Post through the glory years and, you know, and to the digital age. And I think the way I survived is I've always worked really hard. Right. I've always given 300%. You, I mean, people don't see me in the newsroom until midnight writing my story. Or people don't see that I'm on, on the phone on Sunday afternoon, you know, reporting. Or people don't see the conversations I have with people after, after the story has been printed. I really care about the stories, mm-hmm. and I care about the people I write about. It's not just a job for me. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. That is awesome. It's become a lifestyle for you, huh? Yeah. Part of your lifestyle. Yeah, it's a passion. A passion. You have that passion to write and create. And, and I, I mean, I really believe, and this has happened, our stories have been washed out of the history books, right? You know right. they rewrote wow, the history sure. books. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember sitting in an AP history class in high school, and I'm like, Miss Jones, by the way, how come no black people are in our book? And she <laughs> stares at me over her cat-eyed glasses like mm. I was asking a <laughs> stupid question. Yeah. And the thing is, we, our children, have to see themselves in our, our textbooks. They That's have right. to That's see right. our stories. Yeah. And our stories have to be told accurately. Mm-hmm. What happened in history with our people it needs to be written and rewritten and written with the power of of the people who were just years out of enslavement mm-hmm. who came to Tulsa and built Greenwood. And, you know, it, it was just phenomenal, the amount of businesses that were here and the bustling residential neighborhoods and the world-class school system mm-hmm. and the renowned doctors and Lawyers. I mean, if you go down Greenwood Avenue now, you see, if you don't look down, you would never know that it was there. But you see the monuments and the sidewalk of mm-hmm. what once existed. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's imperative and that you, we tell these stories. Yeah. And, you know, uh, coming up, and me, I was born and raised in Tulsa. They didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. It was never really discussed, you know, coming up. And you could go to other cities. Right to a college or something, they knew more about it than you did. That's right. You know, and he was like, wow, but now the world is focused on Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, we've, we've got all of these journalists and everybody from 
everywhere coming here asking stories. I'm, you know, your phone phone number is ringing off the hook. You right, know, you right, got right. so much going on because we're coming up on the centennial. Yes. Absolutely. And uh, the centennial is for me not a big celebration. You know, it's not a celebration. It's a time to get educated and know that this was the biggest horrific act here in American history. I mean, in America. Yeah. Uh, the first bombs were here. Mm-hmm. You know, they blew it up right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, you know, they, they have a number of, like, they say 300 people. I actually believe it was more than that. Right. You know, right. because right. some of those bodies were dumped in the river. Mm-hmm. Some of those bodies probably up under uh, One Oak Field, right. you know, right down there on Greenwood and Archer down in that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to uh, recognize our elders and come together. Because it's about our elders, right? You know that's what it's about. Because we're standing on on their shoulders, right? And if it wasn't for them, then we wouldn't even be where we at right now. Mm-hmm. I'm in this room right now. We're in this radio station because of my grandfather, right? I'm standing on this, the shoulders of somebody. Mm-hmm. So we got to get this education to our people and to those people who are interested in our story, right. who want to help. You know, rather than hurt, mm-hmm. right. you know, we got some, you're in a red state right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, and, ooh, it's rough. Yeah, It's rough right here in Tulsa. And I know writing from the Washington, being able to write at the Washington Post, Man. that's an honor. Yeah. That you're, you're able to tell stories and they not give you any kind of real friction about the stories that you're writing, if that's true. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm pr- probably pretty sure you've had some resistance about some things, uh, but I'm pretty sure you've been there long enough now that they just, all right, Deneen, go ahead, whatever right, you want. Just, just, just go ahead and print, print it up. You know, if that's not the case, then, you know, I, I don't know. You know, and I think it's it's, it's interesting, Bobby, that um, it, sometimes you have to go outside of your city for somebody else to see value in the stories that, you know, and the things that are happening in your city, you know, um, just like this past week, you know, um, we looked at the the amount of media presence that was in our city. Mm -hmm. You know, these people were so concerned about what was happening and telling that story. And we got the opportunity um, to meet with Dr. Fred Mm -hmm. um, Hybert, who um, is from the National Geographic. Um, And he talked about, how huge this particular day was for our city, but it's it's some people in our city they don't see it that way. Yeah, they for, don't. You know, for some people it's like, why are you guys doing that? Why are you de- you know um, don't wake desecrating up the grave? Right. You know, mm-hmm. why are you doing all this? And and you know, and for me, I thought it was really interesting. Now here you have two markers of two people, but then when they do this excavation, there's eleven people. They're gonna do yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so to me, I'm like, okay, we're not desecrating graves. We're finding out the truth about what really happened right. and what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what went on. And those and those ancestors had never had a proper burial. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. know, people lost their family members right. not even That's knowing right. where they went, mm-hmm. you know. So. Right. Yeah. And what I want to ask because we seem like we're kind of going back and forth a little bit, but I, I still go back to after I saw the story in the Washington Post, and the sure. next thing I can remember is we had the first mass grave committee meeting mm-hmm. at the 36th Street North Event Center. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just remember trying to get prepared for that, and I believe, like, with CNN, it was a lot, a lot of, of national, media. national yeah. news media there, 
And um, and I always appreciate Christy and Vanessa so much because you know oh, they they, fr- they, they, front line they hold their post <laughs> and they never ever leave their post. They don't waver. Rain, <laughs> hail, sleet, or snow. Right. They're on their post. I call them front line soldiers. Front line soldiers. <laughs> you know. I always tell them, can I, if I can give y'all some gas money, because <laughs> I appreciate y'all. Because get you know, gas. yeah, because right. this 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 okay. issue. So shaky most yeah, of the time that yeah. you it's hard to find some stability. So mm-hmm. I appreciate um Christy Benesta and of course Dr. Crutcher and many others. I'm not gonna go with a bunch of naming, but I still remember when they said we was gonna have that meeting at the event center and me and Damali was trying to get prepared, but it ended up loaded in there. Yeah. And what I got from that was all these different people from surrounding cities coming in mm-hmm. because we had two microphones set up. Telling mm-hmm. their stories about what happened, like Man. outside of what mm-hmm. I'll call the core of what was going on here, going out into all these other little cities. So I just want to ask Christy, because you were on that committee, right? How did that feel for you? Did you hear stories that you had not heard before? Did you kind of have an inkling of it already? But do you remember that night? It was powerful for me. But yeah. how was that for you? It it was it was very powerful, and it was so many stories that I've never even heard of. And then now when you look at the database of people who submitted stories, it is it, it can be overwhelming and you don't know what's um, real or what's not. You have people who don't, um, you know, who want to remain anonymous. Um, and it, 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 it's a lot and it's powerful and it makes you want to look at every story because you don't want to leave not one stone unturned. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I mean, I know we can't go to a thousand places, right? But uh, so that makes it difficult, um, you know. And then the process of saying which ones do we look at, right? Right. right. Um, so that it it is powerful, and those stories stick. It, it sticks with you. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it is very powerful. It was very powerful for me. So mm. I um for for the listeners out there, we have a lot of people that are online. Right. And so and what we'll say yeah. is, if you have any questions that you want to ask Christy or or Miss Deneen, then please feel free to type those in, or you can call Bobby. Tell them the number because I don't. Okay, know they number. can call. <laughs> <laughs> six, six four six seven one six five five two five. Again, that number is six four six seven one six five five. Two, five. And they got to press the one. They got to press that one button, and I'll see you in queue. And yes. So, Chrissy, there is a you know for some some people that are watching that may not actually really know the story of Greenwood and really what it's all about. Um, there's a lot of people, and there's a misperception that Greenwood or Black Wall Street was just the street of Greenwood. Um, tell the you know listeners and viewers you know really what what the circumference of that area. Mm-hmm. Well, Greenwood is actually four square miles. It is forty city blocks. Um, it's not just that one street. And but when people ask me that, you know, I always got to go back to before Oklahoma became a state. Sure. Um, you know, this was the promised land for um, a lot of black people. And I have to go back even a little further to the five civilized tribes and, you know, how we came, a lot of us came here as slaves with the five civilized tribes um, and being a Creek freedman descended, um, you know, in 1866, we were emancipated with the Mm -hmm. Creek Nation, which meant we became citizens and that's where we get freedmen from. 
Um, but with when we became citizens of the Creek Nation, we were awarded 160 acres of land. Wow. Um, so if you had a family of 12, each person got 160 acres of land, which is why, you know, uh, by 1920, um, Oklahoma had over 50 black townships. Right. Um, and, you know, the only people who could own land here was Indians and black people. So I in tell, the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm, it was Indian territory yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, in 1907, when Oklahoma became a state, then, mm-hmm. you know, that was it. The right. first law was Jim Crow. Yeah. But um, before 1907, that. 1907, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and there's documents of, you know, black people being here in the early 1830s. Mm-hmm. So we were here wow. for a very long time. Right. And so um, I think it's important that we know that. Mm-hmm. Um and that, you know, Greenwood was just a big city in Oklahoma, but you had Ren- you had Rennieville, mm-hmm. you know, you had Bowley, Taft. you had Tallahassee, mm-hmm. Taft. These were black black cities who yeah. were doing big things. Right. Wow. Um, so you were surrounded by black excellence. Right. And so um I like for people to know that, just to know that Greenwood wasn't the only place, right? And right. just want you to just get that in your mm. in your mind. So you got forty city blocks, mm-hmm. and you got over fifty black townships, right? right. So that's right. how I like that's for people lot. to think yeah. about it, Christy. Mm-hmm. There, but see, you know, a lot of people talk. We talk about Greenwood, of course. We love mm-hmm. we love us some Greenwood, but we never talk about Lansing. We never talk about Lansing. Lansing was around too. Lansing had a uh, uh, it had movie theaters, mm-hmm. it had pool halls, it had grocery stores, it had all of that down Lansing too. Yeah, you know, and now Lansing has become like something we don't even discuss no more, you know. Because I can remember I got the I got the last part of Greenwood, the very last mm-hmm. part of it. I was a little boy. We used to go to Rex Theater mm-hmm. down in Spans Pool Hall was down there. Jackson Funeral mm-hmm. Home. We be running from it. You know, right. and all of that kind of stuff, and a uh, King Park, and all that. I got the last of it, right? And I got to see certain parts of Greenwood. They said, "Don't go down that that part of Greenwood." Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to go down there because there was a lot of activity taking place, yeah, right? You know, right. You, you know, so you couldn't go down there. But I was blessed to go because see, Greenwood went from Greenwood and Archer all the way to Pine Street. Mm-hmm. See, a right. lot of people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. And there were those thriving businesses all up and down Greenwood. Right. Barbecue places, uh, Taylor, Big Ben's Taylor Shop, all kinds mm-hmm. of uh, uh, businesses. It was like going on Dona Vega Strip or something. Right. <laughs> right. You know, that's, that's how it was, you yeah. know. And yeah. we didn't think much of it, but as urban removal came in, mm-hmm. urban removal <laughs> right. came in, and destroyed and took away all that land and That's right. the development took place and mm-hmm. OSU came down there and said, hey, we're going to buy up all this land and, and uh, the One Oak Field and all that mm-hmm. destroyed. Right. Gentrification, what right. we were talking about earlier, yeah. Yeah. started destroying history. They put that freeway right through it, mm-hmm. you know, like, boom, we're going to mm-hmm. erase all of this. So, right. You know, but now the pimple has burst. Mm-hmm. It has. And as uh, Bobby was saying, um, Lansing, for people that don't know, that is the western boundary of Greenwood, mm-hmm. and um, which is why, you know, Chief and I, when we do our tours, we drive people around the the whole 40 perimeter. blocks around the perimeter so they can see that. Um, we take them down Lansing so they can see, you know, mm-hmm. what, you know, what what's there now. And we try to talk about what was there um, so that way you can really see it for yourself, how mm-hmm. huge 
Greenwood it was, was huge. Right. It's mm-hmm. the district, and I, I think that people always kind of get that confused. Mm-hmm. And so I'm with you, Bobby. I was born in 1968, um, and my grandmother actually lived on Greenwood. On Greenwood. So I have history of, I remember her house being right across the street from the brickyard mm-hmm. and being able to hear, hear yeah. the brickyard. We would yeah. sleep on the porch and being able to hear the brickyard mm-hmm. and everything, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid coming up. And it's just like now, I don't even know where my grandmother's house is. I can't even tell because the landscape is so different. drastically different than it when it was when I was a child. And, it, you know, my mom has old pictures of it's us. Around where Langston, there, it's yeah. where, where Langston was. Okay. Is that where? See, mm-hmm. I'm totally clueless. Man, you, I'm are, like, yeah, you and Bobby mm-hmm. something else, because now I'm sitting here thinking, y'all saying y'all age, why y'all look so young? What are you <laughs> y'all, I didn't get the coconut uh, water right. memo.
Mm-hmm. Wow. So I think that um, um, one of the questions that I have is, you know, and I don't know, and Denine, this might be something that you can shed light on because you are not, you're not living here, you know, um, right now, but just how, you're, you know, your perspective. But I, you know, when this mass grave thing kind of, you know, took off last week and they're out excavating and all of that, um, I don't know if you guys got the opportunity to see some of the comments. Um, mm. That were placed on, you know, some of the news stories. Right. Um, I actually, for whatever reason, I don't know. I must have been laying in bed, and I just <laughs> decided, you know, I didn't have nothing to do, so I'm just gonna read some of these comments. And I'm telling you, um, I just really felt some kind of way because I feel like this is our opportunity as a city. Um, we keep talking about one Tulsa, one Tulsa, one Tulsa, but when I read some of those comments. If I was you didn't feel one Tulsa. No, and if I was a person Mm -hmm. looking, you know, like if I lived in another state and I was looking at Tulsa as one of the places where I wanted to potentially move to, looking at those comments, I would said, you know what, Tulsa is a racist city, Mm -hmm. and I do not want to be there. Um, So I wanted to, and and that was just just my personal Mm -hmm. opinion um, based mm -hmm. on those those comments. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know, you know, from Christy and Denine, you know, if you had an opportunity to see any of those comments, and what are your thoughts? about the mm-hmm. naysayers, about what's happening um, and the search for these ancestors? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I tried not to read them, and I didn't read any of those this time. Good, good, uh, good <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, when Chief and I was doing the Rename Brady um, campaign, mm-hmm. right. and I would read the comments, and they were horrible, and I would get on there and just, you know, right. and argue right. back and forth with them, and then you just realize how much of life you just wasted right. with these people. <laughs> and then I would read comments from um, like uh, Washington Post. I would read comments from the Huffington uh, Post mm-hmm. and, right. and Wa- Wall Street Journal, um, all the other ones. And the comments are drastically different. Right. You know, they're like, oh, this is good. This is good. But then when you go to Tulsa, oh, you see all God. the craziness, yeah, right? right. Um, you know, my mother, she, they did an intervention with me when we were doing the Brady thing. I came, yeah. I went to my mom's and um, all my family was there and mm-hmm. they were like, you're going to stop. Yeah. You know, and my mom was scared wow. for my life. And I was like, mom, no, this is not what you taught me to do, you know, to stand up for what's right. And, you know, and all these things. And so my whole family was like, you got to stop this because you don't know white folks like I do and they will kill you, you know. And surely then Chief and I started getting death threats like we wow. did. We where we would go places. I remember pumping gas with my son and um, some guys in the pickup truck, you know, called us niggers and all kind of stuff. And wow. so, you know, um, oh, well, that, that, that's Tulsa. Yeah, that's Tulsa. But I, I, I don't I don't read them anymore because it just. Yeah. So, oh, Janine, so what what do you think about that? I mean, just hearing that, you know, I don't know, if, like I said, I don't know if you had an opportunity to look at any of that, um, but just hearing that, you know, what, what do you think on a national level about that? I don't read comments either um, because it's like eating neg- negativity. Yes. And you don't need that to be part of your psyche. I write the stories, um, and when they're published, you know, that's it. I don't read the comments anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, um, you know, I also teach at the University of Maryland, and I tell my students that reporting, reporters, a reporter's job is to pursue the truth. Yes. 
and pursue the truth and as close as the truth as you can get to the truth, right? Sure. Or as close as the truth can be ascertained. Um, that's the job of the of the reporter. So um, I believe strongly that if you write the truth as, as close as you can get to it, sure. that the truth prevails. Right. You know, it's like there are powerful forces in the universe. You know, there's faith and there's fear. Right. Truth. Mm-hmm. As we see this week, truth, you can't cover it up. Right. You might try to. But eventually, it will break through, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It will break through. And as what, what you can see with the uncovering this week of the mass grave, of the coffins that were found in that trench, unmarked right. in a cemetery. Right. right. Unmarked, as you said. Yes. Two sto- tombstones. But down in the ground, there are at least 12 coffins. Right. And one of the archaeologists said that there's a potential that 30 more are down in mm-hmm. this trench, right? Mm-hmm. That's truth coming yeah. up, right? Right. Yep. That's truth. So you can't you can't cover up the truth. You can't. The comments don't yeah. matter to me. Right. Right. The truth matters, right? Sure. So and and whoever is in the ground, we don't know their names at this point, right. but we do know. They, they didn't deserve to die True. in the massacre. Right. They did not deserve to be buried in a mass grave mm-hmm. without proper a proper burial, without their loved ones. Right. We don't. Again, we don't know who's down there. There's always that conditional. They could be from the Spanish flu. But yeah. They yeah. are near the mm-hmm. the known, as 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 Christy said, the two tombstones of the known riot dead, sure. Reuben mm-hmm. Everett and Eddie Lockhart. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're near they're in the so-called Potter's Field right. and the so-called colored section of the cemetery. Mm. Um, so what happened this week was powerful. It's very right. powerful. I mean, mm-hmm. and and you're getting mm-hmm. like um, calls mm-hmm. from people from not only over the country but all over the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This right. is a big. This is big stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I asked the question now. Archaeologists, right? Mm-hmm. They can discover dinosaur bones. <laughs> right. You know, dinosaur right. bones. It seems to me, though, they can look down in and just, you know, they they, they have the technology. Sure. They do have it. But I get they're being real cautious of what they do, uh-huh. you know, and they just dig a little three inches at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Am mm-hmm. I right, Christy, mm-hmm. y'all? Mm-hmm. And, but they are, they have that technology, you guys. They can see what they want to see. They can do what they want to do. They can go to the moon. You know, they, there are things that archaeologists can do. They'd be over in Iraq and Iran and mm-hmm. Egypt going down there looking at dinosaur bones and sweeping off bones. And they can do it if they mm-hmm. want to. Mm-hmm. So right. I think, you know, for, for me personally, I think that um, the way I view it is that, you know, we've tried to keep this our dirty little secret for so long, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think it's just time for acknowledgement. We just acknowledge that this is what happened. It just happened, you know, right or wrong, good or bad, it's right. happened. So then what do we do about that? Well, you know, because there are people who are unknown 
that are in these these graves. You know, right. they have families, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if it was your uncle, your aunt, your cousin, mm-hmm. your niece, your it, grandchild? And it was with you, some of us. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You would want to know and be able to put those bodies at rest. Right. You know, I'm not even saying that the thing to do is to pull all of those graves out. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because they've been there for so long, you know, but maybe create some kind of memorial or mm-hmm. something that acknowledges and that we get to know where our loved ones are. You know right. what I mean? And Damali, what I'll do is um, Tia, she chimed in and she said that she saw those same comments that you that you yeah. saw and it truly shows how narrow-minded and closed-minded Tulsans, you know, mm-hmm. are. And then um, Chris Bell, he's out of um, Florida. Mm-hmm. He said the truth is undefeated. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. He said the truth is undefeated. Right. And, you know, because truth is truth. And what I want to ask is about some of the survivors, because I know you and Chief get a chance to drive and meet with some of the people that did survive that day. And I think we can bring more context to it because now you're connecting what's going on with the excavation with people that you met and talked to, because it's not, it's not like a dinosaur a million years ago. (laughs) It's only coming up on the centennial. So you've met with those survivors and heard those stories. So Christy, for you and Chief and some others that have had an opportunity to sit and listen to their story and they describe how that was, and they still hear and live in. And then you see this excavation. How do you mm-hmm. tie that together? You know what I mean? Yeah, so, you know, that's that's what makes it uh, not only a spiritual mm-hmm. fight for me, but it um, it keeps me focused. And when I get tired, it really kind of is like, this mm-hmm. is why you're doing this. Um, I was blessed to... Uh, to know Otis T. Clark, and I was blessed to know Wes Young through Chief. Chief introduced me to Wes Young. Um, Chief used to cut um, their hair um, for them, and, uh, you know, Wes Young, he didn't mind talking to anyone as long as you brought him some black walnut ice cream from (laughs) the But um, he he told a lot of stories um, that that will stick with me, and Otis T. Clark, you know, he always talked about his father, um, his stepfather, but he called him his father, mm-hmm. uh, and how the white mob came and took him away from their home, and he never seen him again. Wow. And he said he knew his father would have never left them, um, but stories um, had told he believed that he that he was, you know, in that mass grave at Oklahoma. So when I think of that, you know, um, I understand why I'm a part of this, you know, um, you know, sometimes like, you know, you think your purpose is what you love to do, but it's not always what (laughs) you love to do. And, um, this is heavy work. It is not, um, you know, glam and people think, Oh, you're, you know, they saw you on this channel, that channel, or they saw you on the front page of the Washington post. Um, it is truly hard work and, and people don't realize that, you know, you don't get paid to do this job, right. and and it's not for free either. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it, it's uh, it, it's a lot, and then we have our normal nine to five. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we do this. You know, I I spend a lot of my my paid time off my PTO vacation days doing community work. I can't remember the last time I went somewhere just to relax just because. Right. Um, and as you all know, I went to Minneapolis with you all yeah. uh, and, right. and in the middle of COVID. Right. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. And it wasn't for, you know, um, 
for fun, right. even though I got to go see Prince with Damali. Right. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see Paisley Park. But um, it was back to work right after that, it was. right? All and right. so it was, you know, so we don't get, we don't get that, um, that thing of it as people think it is. Mm-hmm. And we're not always running in this for the spotlight either. There's a lot of back work that goes into it. And um, I'm really blessed to have met Deneen and be friends with Deneen. Like I can really call Deneen a friend and, um, and she's right. She, she was telling you the truth. Like she really cares about the people that she's writing about. And she does call even when you least expect it. And sometimes I can just be like, Oh, I'm tired of this, and Denise will call. <laughs> so, you know, and it's like okay, and 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 she and she empowers you too. You know, um, she really does. She encourages you, um, and 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 also like with her writing, that's activism too. Right. You know, right. it's 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 with the pen, and um, she she's a great resource and someone to bounce things off of, and. You know, Charles is right. Charles never lets me um, pay for a meal. Yeah. <laughs> no, he ain't gonna let you. He's gonna pay right. for your meal. Now. Yes. Trust me, I know how that goes. Yeah. He wants somebody to eat with. He wants somebody to eat with. So yeah. Charles be saying, "Here, Bobby, hey, get your get your lunch today." Right. You know what I mean? I'm like. Okay. Yeah. So I know how you feel, Christy. Yeah. So you know we have a good team, and and I can't even just sit here and not you know talk. And, and you know, Chief is just amazing. Man, um, yeah, he, is. he he taught me everything I I know about um, activism. My, my dad, um, you know, then I um, talk about Vanessa. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Dr. Crutcher, Greg Robinson. Oh man. Like we Cabin Ross. We have a dream team, like we really do. And um, Charles and Damali, like we have a dream team, and we just we we're all in this together, and we we um, spend our Sundays together usually. Right. Um, So we, I mean, you know, um, you can't do this by yourself. That's right. And it's not um, one of us; it's all of us. Right. Um, We are definitely a team. Yes. I can. I I I would just say that. when this all got started last week, Christy was like at the the uh, memorial site like every day, right. <laughs> like every day. And one day she texted and said, you know, and of course, you know, Charles and I went down there. You know, we had other stuff going on, you know, but we were like, okay, we're gonna come, you know, doing this block of time and you know whatever. And so Christy texted and said, hey sis, I'm thirsty. Can you bring me something? I'm like, girl, I got you, you know, <laughs> you know. So I bring her, you know, a tea and and some M and M's, you know. Um, you know, I don't even, what what is that all about? We shouldn't be eating healthy food. I don't like Look, a just, tea and M and M's. You just trying to get by. And I, I want to ask this question, uh, Denise, because you are a writer. Um, I want to ask about writing styles. Mm-hmm. You know, writing styles and in. in what are the different type of writing styles and what's yours? Because I feel like your writing style, whatever that's called, is a fit for Christy, Vanessa, and Greg, and Dr. Crutcher mm-hmm. in this community. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a huge gift. But from you being a writer and writing so long, what are the different writing styles and why does, what kind do you have? Okay, so in journalism, you have what's called hard news. That's when, you know, breaking news and mm-hmm. everybody, you know, learns this in high school. The first paragraph is the what, where, when, how. Mm-hmm. It's just bam, 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 the news, news, news. What I write are feature stories or mm-hmm. what they're called, they're called, it's called literary journalism, right? Or narrative journalism. That's what I teach. And basically that means um, you back up 
when you tell the story of characters, there's a narrative to mm-hmm. it. There's a narrative arc, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And what I teach my students is you infuse it with tension. Um, it's the same thing that you will, you've probably studied in English 102, 101, or high school when you're studying short stories. There are the elements of spot, rising action, falling action, conflict, dialogue, tone, mm-hmm. um, resolution, mm-hmm. right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I do in my writing is I marry those techniques between journalism and literary writing, but it's all based on fact. Right. I mean, that's the difference mm-hmm. here. It's like short stories are one thing, but I'm I'm writing stories that are based on fact. Mm-hmm. Nothing in my story is made up. If I say Christy is wearing a black sweatshirt with black Wall Street on it, mm-hmm. you know, I probably will have taken a picture. That's accurate, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And she's sitting in a room with one, two, three, four, five, six people. Mm-hmm. That's accurate. So it's all based on fact, but it's literary, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. And... Um, so one of the things about feature writing is the story should be told in such a way that by the time the reader gets to the end of it, he, she should feel something. Right. 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 And so that's, that's my technique. That's what I, I aspire to do. That's what I try to do. And that's what I teach. That's awesome. <clears throat> I'm glad you said you should feel something because for the people that's listening in from wherever you're from, when Deneen talks, you listen to her words verbally, but then you can mm-hmm. feel something, too. Right, it's like right. she communicates yeah. more than just verbally. Mm-hmm. So if you ever engage with her, that's not weird. You are right. Cause <laughs> it's happening, you know? right. So that's how you know it's something different. So I'm glad you said as you go through that, at the end, you should feel something. But even just when you talk, mm-hmm. you feel something. So yes. thank you. I, and, I'm, and I would just say I'm just really excited that we got an opportunity to meet you, Deneen. Right. Um, you um, do phenomenal work, and you can just tell that you have a heart for this. You know, yeah. you don't you don't have to say it. You can just just from conversations and talking with you, you know, and we got to spend some time together away from um the um the grave, you know, excavation and just talking and hanging out and eating of course. Charles, you know, <laughs> wants to go yeah, eat. Go eat. So yeah. we had to go eat, but you know, but just hanging out and we, we were able to just, you know, communicate. Um, about, you know, what's going on and what's happening in our thoughts and our feelings and, you know, what we, you know, um, talking with uh, Dr. Hybert um, from National Geographic, you know, about his thoughts and his feelings about just the whole process, what we witnessed, because, you know, all of us were there. You know, of course, you were there a lot longer than Charles and I, you know, and mm-hmm. Christy, but, you know, you know, what we felt in that moment when, right. you know, the announcement came, oh, we found, you know, one body here, you mm-hmm. know, and then it's, oh, we found three, now it's 11, you know, how that felt, you know, what did you think oh. about that when you heard that, yes, there are bodies here, like like we thought, and, you know, the number that you heard, you know, and then the potential about there being even more. What did you think about that? Well, uh, as reporters, you're taught uh, you're taught to uh, detach yourself from the moment. Sure. Detach yourself from the emotion of the story and report the facts. But we are also human. Mm-hmm. Right. 
at that moment when I was in the news conference and I heard Carrie Stackelbeck, the state archaeologist, say, this constitutes a mass grave, it took my breath away. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, how your heart skips a beat. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, they it's found real. it. It's real. They found it. And there, because, you know, all along this path from the time when they, Mayor Bynum reopened the investigation, mm-hmm. you know, I've been, I've t- tried to come back to Tulsa at each step. When they bit, began the ground penetrating radar, mm-hmm. when they, in December, when they announced what they found, remember we were sitting mm-hmm. on pens and needles mm-hmm. at the Carver Middle yeah. School. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, just tell us, tell yeah. us. And they said, we found anomalies that are consistent mm-hmm. with mass graves. And then you get the naysayers who are like, yeah, oh, it could course. be anywhere. Yeah. And then you come back and they say, you know, they're meeting with the oversight committee to get permission to physically dig. And they announced that in July 2020, well, it was really going to be in April and the pandemic hit, but in July 2020, they decide to physically excavate. That was an oh my God moment as well, because mm-hmm. for no time, nearly a hundred years, nobody has physically looked for right. the missing black bodies, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. black people. Right. So when they broke ground, I was like, I want to be there. Right. Mm-hmm. This is history. And then when I when uh, they announced that they in July that they had not found human remains in that text, test excavation, I thought to myself. Well, you know, the headlines that went around the world were Tulsa uh, searches for mass grave, finds no human remains. That was the headline. And people, right. mm-hmm. like, see, people only read headlines these days. Exactly. And I was busy, like, tweeting as much as I could. <laughs> no, no, the story is Tulsa is, is, is going to expand its search. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the story. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, if I could talk to CNN, I would. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not the end of the story. That's not the end they of the chapter. They thought it was the end. Yeah. yeah they, saw like, well, they didn't find nobody. It's like, don't you know. close the book. Mm-hmm. You know, and people mm-hmm. would say to me, oh, you did all that work, and they didn't find anything. And I'm like, no. They ex- they're expanding the search. Right. And I was never down about that at mm-hmm. all. So, again, when they announced that they expanded the search, they're looking in the area of the original 18. Mm-hmm. I wrote write a story um, about as much as I could about who those original 18 people were. Right. So right. they know the 13 names. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you read the names on that funeral home ledger, and then you start picking up their story, he lived on Elgin with his wife, mm-hmm. or he was a bank porter, mm-hmm. or um, his body was found near the airport and you start looking back in the archives and you're like, the people mm-hmm. that we're looking for lived full lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. That's right. They woke up that morning, you know, mm-hmm. on their way to somewhere, living their life. And this white mob mm-hmm. descends on Greenwood and snap takes their lives. Mm-hmm. So I write the story about the original 18. Yes. And, and go ahead. You know, um, it's just hard to imagine mm-hmm. a mother 
and her children and the family running down the street and getting gunned down. Mm-hmm. Just little babies getting gunned down and just shot and killed. You, you know, for no reason at all. Not a reason. Mm-hmm. Out of jealousy, envy, mm-hmm. because those blacks had it going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Our people mm-hmm. had it going on down mm-hmm. there. That's right. And for that to take place, it's just devastating. It's just you know, every time I go down on Greenwood, I just I can see when I when you go down there, you need to see souls moving. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. you can yeah. feel them for you sure. You, you really souls. can't if you're in you touch. Know, yeah, the universe, if you're in touch, you, you need to it. see it. You yeah. can feel it. You can feel it. You know, you need to know why you're down there, not just going mm-hmm. down to either one of Jays or going Absolutely. to T-shirt shop or you know, you know wherever you're going mm-hmm. down there. But you need to know why you're down there. You Absolutely. Know? And we've got a lot of people coming down there from. All over, Christy, oh, you wow. know, yeah. you guys give tours down mm-hmm. there all the time. And mm-hmm. people from out of town want to know this history. Yep. Yep. And, wanna... mm-hmm. and they tend to know it better than we do here. Right. Yeah, yeah, they right. do. Yeah, yeah. I ran into a few people down there, and I said, man, you guys know the story. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of our people right here in Tulsa are natives and people who've been here. They need to know this story. Oh, yeah. sure. They need to right. learn and teach it to their children, you know, mm-hmm. the little bitty kids. Right. Now. I heard that they just implemented the massacre in the school system. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. You know, so they're teaching it in schools now. Yeah, but what are they teaching? Yeah, that's what that's my that's question. The question. What How are they teaching right. it? Right. What are they teaching right. about it? Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I don't like that one because it, the what they have is really a lesson plan. It's not a curriculum and it leaves it up to interpretation. Mm-hmm. So like, you yeah. know, a part of it says you can decide would you call it a riot or would you call it a massacre? And it should be taught as a massacre. That's, that's what, what it was. was. True. And so, you know, it leaves a lot up to interpretation and that's not the way mm-hmm. history should be taught. Right. right. And what I, yeah. And what I what I love and I'm trying to make sure I orchestrate this question the right way is being able to tell our story story our way on KBOD and that's what I appreciate <laughs> about Bobby. But also, when I think about last week, um, I love the fact that you look up and all this national media is here. It's a great yeah. thing because right. it shines a spotlight in a dark place. I'll just call it that, mm-hmm. right. mm-hmm. if you will. And then when I go down there and I see all these national media out- outlets, so I see ABC, National Geographic, I mm-hmm. see PBS, I see the History Channel, and they are great people, and I like meeting them. But in the woes of all of that, it still makes me think about how did this kick off, which takes me back to the people that's on that post. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? On that post. So that's why I'm happy we did this show, because you can go back to Christy, Vanessa, and the team, and the people that she named, mm-hmm. along with Deneen breaking that first story. Mm-hmm. So that as all these people fly in from all over the world, right? Don't not forget the foundation of where this thing took off and get lost in the sauce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that all right to say on the radio? Lost, right. in, the lost in the sauce. You know, <laughs> yes. you're under, right about yeah, that. Yeah, so don't let the intent of what this is get away. I mm-hmm. want to say, I'm still here. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and on the ground. Notice some mm-hmm. of the national media is gone, but I'm still here. That's still right. Here. I'm still working. It's good to see you. I'm, Good to see you. And I love being in the studio. So um, I often say that, you know, just my job is to pursue the truth and I care about it. I'm not just, um, Uh I'm not just, I don't, I'm not a fly by night reporter. Right. 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 And I hope that that people understand that and that um, I really do strive for accuracy in my reporting and in my writing. 
and the story is very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the story is very important, and it's important who you tell your stories to. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because you got a lot of people writing books mm-hmm. and putting that Black Wall Street label on their stuff and right. selling books and documentaries and all this stuff. So be careful who yeah, you tell right. your stories to. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. one thing that I realize, and I try to tell all my people over here at Eat Media Services and stuff like the centennial's coming up. That's a lot right. of people gonna be here in Tulsa. Right. But when the centennial's over, yeah, we're still here. That's uh-huh. right. Right. Uh-huh. We're still here. And everybody that went on back home and did whatever they did, those you're gonna have some that's gonna stay in touch with us. Sure. Right. You know, sure. then you're gonna have some that just gonna disappear until the next story. Until the next story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you said something powerful, and I don't know why I'm using this song, but when it's like the thrill is gone. Mm-hmm. You no. know, people yeah. that hear yeah. that song, the thrill is gone. Yeah. The thrill is gone thrill away. Is gone. And, and we hopeful, and that's why I'm glad you're here because then it's not for you. It's not the thrill is gone. Right? These no, you sure are gonna be here, yeah. This is our history. These are things that need to be done and covered more. So we appreciate that. And I just said that to say our our mass grades oversight committee, Krista, you and the team, thank you, Denise. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I just, you can't thank people enough, and I just want to say that. Right. Yeah. Just say it publicly. And I'll even say, too, that we did have, while we were um, out at the mass grave site, um, there were some people that just pulled up and put late flowers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and brought, you know, items and tokens that it. they left at the fence, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. thought that was powerful. That's how we become one Tulsa. That's true. Don't judge, you mm-hmm. know, because just because it Talk works about for our family. spending taxpayers' money exactly. and all that old kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. How mm-hmm. much money do we spend and we waste doing other things that are of total unimportance? That's right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? These Base- are baseball stadiums. These are people's I know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are people's families. These, you know, these are people's loved ones. And mm-hmm. uh, to me, I just feel like as a community, I don't care if they were purple, green, orange. It does not matter. Just common decency and humanity would mm-hmm. say, let's find these people right. and, and, and at least acknowledge, because like I said, I understand that these graves have been, you know, in the ground for almost a hundred years, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. you know, so you got to be careful about, you know, what you do with them. So it may not be feasible, you know, that's, that's up to the archaeologist. Mm-hmm. It may be not be feasible to pull them out. Right. But, you know, let's, you know, honor them and at least try to figure out who these families yeah. are and give those families closure. I, you know, got to meet some of the descendants, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. at the candlelight ceremony right. mm-hmm. and, you know, and just hearing their stories and, you know, just hearing them talk and, and they still talk as though these relatives were here today, Mm -hmm. you know, so that means that there's trauma, there's an open wound. And even though some of these people were not even born, but when you hear these stories Mm -hmm. in your families, you know what I mean? It creates that generational trauma that you carry from one generation to the next, you know? So how do we heal that? You know, and it should be, um, you know, and coming up on every, every legislator and our city government to want to do that for our citizens. Mm-hmm. Why would you not? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's going to create a better Tulsa 
for everybody. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. So I just, you know, that's just my personal, you and know. My, personal yeah, my little sister, she put a heart up there and said, hey, y'all. You know, she's <laughs> from the country. You know how we're from Arkansas. Hey, y'all. You got to hang on to that. Oh, you know, hey, hey, little hey, little hey, little hey, little hey, little hey. Thanks for being here, locking in with us. Right, and right. this is something I thought about this, that's so heartbreaking, but it's just so true. Mm-hmm. You know, because I am, I'm, I'm from Arkansas. I'm not from here originally, but I've been here for 20 years. You, you're from me, here. Yeah. I'm from here. Right. I got my card. I got my card. But what hurt me to my heart is I understand from watching the news that if this was 300 horses buried in a field, uh, cats, rats, hyenas, they had discovered a long time ago. Mm-hmm. This would be news locally. Mm-hmm. Everybody would be out. Mm-hmm. Everybody would be in tears and crying and caring. And how we do these to these horses, you know what? Is, and you know, so that's I've just been here long enough to understand because mm-hmm. I've seen enough stories mm-hmm. with the dogs and cats and rats mm-hmm. that it's you get all this compassion, but these are people. And then it's like that's pulled back, so it just yeah. really right. throws you off. Right, throw you off. And I and I, I'm gonna ask Christy. Christy's gonna be like, Charles, I'm not coming back. <laughs> but you've been here long enough as well. What in the world? What do you think about that? You know, it's just um, it's it's white supremacy. I mm-hmm. mean, I tell can't it, say it no other way. Um, it, it, that's just what it is, but. We have to come together and demand better mm-hmm. um, and even take what's better. Like, I just, I mean, it really is just at that point. Um, and I keep saying we have to build an economy within this economy. Mm-hmm. We have to build a nation within this nation. And there's power in doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, you teach people how to treat you. Mm-hmm. And the time has come. Like, this is a new day. And no longer, I mean, just no longer are we going to put up with stuff like that. So that's why Vanessa and I stood there with those shovels. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, right. you yeah. don't get them out here, we're going to do it. I might have passed out halfway through it, but we, we <laughs> hey, we're going to do this. And, and, you, and you, have to, you have to be that way because this is what we're dealing with. And this city is not used to dealing with people like us. Like, no, you not. know, um, they're not. And so, yeah. and, and, and you have to do something different. You can't just stay on that wheel of insanity. You mm-hmm. have to think outside the box and, and just, just be real. Mm-hmm. And, and like I say, and demand and take. Right. Right, right. 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 And I'll say, because like, of course, with us, with whirlwind development, we have a lot of partnerships and all right. over the city. So we right. definitely have relationships where we know it's not mm-hmm. everybody. So yeah. it's, it's not everybody. It's not everybody. So no. that's a That's a lot right. of people coming in for the cause. But you got to have a conversation. But Absolutely. You gotta have a you gotta, and we're having more of it these days yeah. with people of different ethnic, you know, just different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're having it. And I'm tired yeah. of the conversations. I think we've talked a lot, right. <laughs> but like, well, I'm talking conversations about, are good. What I'm talking about to them. Yeah, to them. To but them. It, but even with that, you know, because they know what they're done, what they've done, and what they're doing. Well, you know, you know some of them don't feel responsible. Some of them say, well, that was our ancestors. We don't have nothing to do with that. That was right. then. So I have to educate them and give them the truth. And then they get mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and get to, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this had to, I didn't know about Willie Lynch. I didn't know about, uh, uh, you know, all of that. Yeah. Slave, the Atlantic mm-hmm. slave trade. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have that education to when know. People, yeah, when they say that to me, I always say, well, yeah, you that was that was your ancestors, but now you have the power to make it right. That's make what I right. say. Right. I say make Absolutely. it right. Do mm-hmm. something. Well, we're gonna take a little short break, a little what they call pause for the call. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta pay the bills, you right. know what I mean, right. and stuff like that. So you're on KBOB eighty nine point nine FM. So we'll be right back. All right. So stick around, okay? 
What's up, y'all? This is Charlie Wilson, and you listen to 89.9 FM. Searching for ways to grow your business? Or perhaps you would like to invest in Tulsa's African-American community? The Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce is a great place to start. The Chamber was created to serve and increase the visibility of needs in our community. It is an umbrella organization for local businesses, the Tulsa Juneteenth Festival, BWS Black Women in Business, and the Grassroot Economic Development Fund known as BWS The Power Group. For more information about the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce or to donate to the Power Group, visit bwschamber.com. Right about now. Let's go. Find them on Facebook, the Two Dog Sports Talk. A place sports talk is talked about from a fan's point of view. North Tulsa's very own sports talk on 89.9 FM and Facebook Live with Drone and Yo. Let's do it. Tune into the Groove Zone. Join Gail, Mr. Groove Taylor, every Saturday from 2.30 to 5.30. You're in the zone. You're in the zone. On the all-new community radio, 89.9 FM. P&J Publishing Incorporated announces a new book release, The Entrepreneurial Woman. The World is Your Playground by Angela K. Chambers, MES. Available right now for pre-order at payhip.com slash B slash N B capital A capital C. The book release is set to hit June 1st, 2020. If you're ready to publish your book, visit us online at www.pnjpublishing.com. Unleash that book that's inside of you with PNJ Publishing. Hello, Tulsa. This is Janetta Cole with Sunday Dinner and More by Janet, your weekend soul spot. Every Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. We're located 531 East Apache in the historic Apache Circle Center. Of course, during these times, it's carry-out only, but you can call 918-951-5143. That's- if your credit starts with a 3, 4, 5, or 6, this is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment, and you're paying high interest rates, along with paying high car insurance, and it may be costing you that job that you really want. What are you waiting on? Take more of a holistic approach. Pick up the phone and call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. With 13 amazing services, we restore and repair generations to come. Once again, call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. If you know better, you do better. Only the Credit Shiro can help you to save the day. Hey, it's Alfre Woodard. When I'm in Tulsa, I keep it on K-Bob. That's how I find out what's really happening. KBOB 89.9 FM. I might as well drop a, drop a little something on your hold up. Belly back. Messi Mika, Sunshine, Randall Lopez, Oak 
Smith, Smith and DJ Perfecto. Yep, that's my crew. Wake up. Wake up every morning with your morning crew from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on the all-new 89.9 FM Community Radio. Who's that? KBOB. Oh, yeah. All right, we're back here on KBOB 89.9 FM, home of Black Wall Street. You know what? I would like for those who are also listening, support your local black media. You know, we have a few black media companies here, Oklahoma Eagle, Eden Media Services, Black Wall Street Time, uh, Tulsa Star, Greenwood Tribune, you know. And we're small companies, but uh, we need your support, so support us because... I believe uh, my motto and everybody over here knows that I say we tell our stories our way because when you own your own platform and everything is blackity, blackity, black, you know, and uh, we do that over here at Eat Media Services located at 1533 North Norfolk here in the heart of, uh, like I said, Black Wall Street, Tulsa. So you can get in touch with us. Let me turn this down for a minute. You can get in touch. touch, I'm going to give you guys my email addresses. EatonMusic2 at gmail.com. That's easy to do. E-A-T-O-N, music, the number two, at gmail.com. Email me. Come by 1533 North Norfolk. Anytime you don't have to have always an appointment to come see me because we are a community radio station. Right. I'm going to emphasize, say that again, community. You know, we give a voice to the voiceless. You know, over here. So, you know, if you got ideas or something you want to do, uh, something you want to say, just come over here and holler at a brother. Okay. All right. In the studio, Janine <laughs> Brown is here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Washington Post, Christy Williams. Yeah. Our own Tulsa Zone. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, Damali Wilson and Charles Harper yeah. here on the Bobby Eaton Show. And you guys were off break. We're going to talk about. Yeah. So before we get started, um, yeah. I just want to read this comment. Christopher Bell um, okay. is kind of chiming in. He said, I've read the comments, and it's sad that common decency didn't prevail in those comments. Our current leadership in the U.S. has drastically enabled a very negative and racist temperament. I applaud you all for your hard work and dedication to the pursuit of truth. All the way from Florida, the conversation needs to be had, and a change is coming. Wow. Thank you, Christopher. We appreciate that. appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goes back to what I'm saying. Sometimes when you write in the city, you know, people don't see the work that you're doing, and it takes people from the outside with a different lens mm-hmm. to actually acknowledge, you know, what's going on and, you know, the the truth and the work mm-hmm. that's actually happening in a particular area. So. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I say, Danine, we're just so excited to have you here. Absolutely. I know you've been a few mm-hmm. times, but we're in Bobby Eaton today. <laughs> and, wow. and like I said, this happened in Tulsa, but you travel right. because you are a writer. Mm-hmm. And so just to put a little more perspective to this, um, what are maybe some other situations maybe similar to this that has happened in other cities and other places and those things that you have observed, seen, and had to write about? Yeah, so um, this summer um, I wrote a story for National Geographic about the red summer of 1919, and I did a lot of research in a matter of days um, about the summer, red summer of 1919, which uh, was a reign of, of terror that occurred, well, it says 1919, but it really began before that. Uh, some historians say that... Um, uh, the Red Summer began in East St. Louis, Illinois, um, mm-hmm. in 1917, where there was a, a massacre there, um, sparked by job 
a friction between white workers and black workers in East St. Louis. I went back into the archives and read um, the contemporary accounts, Mm -hmm. and it was barbaric. Wow. White Mm. people pulled black people off of buses and streetcars and and bludgeoned them. They beat them. So in Tulsa, Mm. they shot, you know, there's a distance. But when you beat someone to death, that's an intimacy. Right. Um, uh, Black people were beaten in the street. Uh, I read um, an account in the St. Louis Dispatch from a, a white reporter who went down there, and he described a black man who had been beaten by a white mob. He had survived the first beating, and he's he's raising himself up off the ground to look around for help. And uh, the reporter describes there's a well-dressed white man standing over him with a slab of, of rock. Oh, And no. he just, you know, slams it against this black man's head. Um, and the same story, um, the, the reporter from, from the St. Louis Dispatch talks about a group of black women on the ground being beaten by white women. And the the black women are are pleading for their lives, and these these white women are beating them with sticks. Um, so that was one of the massacres that occurred in this country. Um, it massacres also occurred in Elaine, Arkansas, um, mm-hmm. which you may know about. Well, you're from Arkansas, mm-hmm. but Elaine, Arkansas, it begins with uh, a group of black sharecroppers who who decide to form a union to demand better prices for their crop, right? Right. And uh, they have a meeting one night in a church. Um, the listeners have to know that when all of this is occurring, you have black World War I veterans who are just coming back from World War One. They've been trained to fight. They went abroad and they fought, fought for democracy for this country. Right. And they come back to the United States demanding justice. Right. And expecting to be treated as such. They tried to protect their communities in each of these cases. So in Elaine, mm-hmm. Arkansas, they have the meeting with the sharecroppers in this little church at night. And, you know, our, our communities always know when trouble is coming. So they station some black men outside with guns just in case the Klan pops up, right. which they did. They drove by. They shot at the church. The black men shot back, hit one of the black, the white men. Same thing that happened in Tulsa. Right. And then whenever in history, when when a white man is hit in these skirmishes, all heck breaks loose, right? Right, And then you get 10,000 white people from across the state and across the South who descend on these communities, shoot and kill black people. So Mm -hmm. Elaine, Arkansas, they don't know how many black people were killed there, but it was a tragic, horrific event. Um, no white person was ever arrested or charged in that massacre, but black people were charged. And there were 12 black men who were charged in the massacre, and they were actually sentenced to death. Oh, wow. But the NAACP, NAACP went to Lane, Arkansas, and fought their case all the way to the Supreme Court. Their uh, convictions were returned, and they lived. Oh, wow. That's an amazing story. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have a lot of people don't know about Chicago. In uh, Chicago I heard about something in Chicago. Go ahead. Okay, so in Chicago, um, what's so incredible about this story is it starts with black black teenagers swimming in the lake and a black teenager accidentally swims over this invisible color line. Oh wow. Into wow. the so called white area of the lake. 
and the white people stone this black teenager to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the police come, they, uh, you know, the black crowd points out the white perpetrator. Nobody's arrested, and and Chicago erupts. Mm-hmm. And did that happen off of Lakeshore, off of Lakeshore Drive, right? In the lake, yes. Yeah, in the lake. Yeah, mm-hmm. my mother. I heard about that Chicago. story. Yeah, I've been up in that area, so I kind of mm-hmm. got a little history about it. Right. And then a lot of people don't know there was a massacre that occurred in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Yes. And uh, as you know, uh, um, Carter G. Woodson, uh, the father of black mm-hmm. history, lived in D.C. in a very prominent black neighborhood mm-hmm. in D.C. And he used to walk about town. This historian C.R. Gibbs told me the story that Carter G. Woodson, who, again, created black history, well, was the father of black history, He's out, and um, there are white sailors out uh, trying to kill as many black people as they could. And Carter G. Woodson, you know, is turning a corner, and he sees a black man being beaten to death, and he goes the other way. So he nearly escapes. Well, he escapes death that night. Um, We don't know how many people were killed in that massacre. But you have... And then, of course, many people know about Rosewood, Florida, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which, which again, begins the same way uh, the massacre in Tulsa began with an accusation by a white woman. And um, the white mobs descend on the, the all-black community of Rosewood. There's a, a black man there who defends his home. And then... Ten, as many as 10,000 white people descend on Rosewood mm-hmm. and just destroy the town. Mm-hmm. You have, you do, mm-hmm. In the same way that Tulsa happened here, you have black people running to the swamps and hiding out from there. Uh, as they did in Tulsa, they, you know, many people ran into the forest and sure. ran into the black communities mm-hmm. and black towns around here. So just to sum up what I'm saying is there, were, there are massacres uh, that occurred across this country um, that many people don't know about that either have been written out of the mm-hmm. textbooks or never included in the textbooks. And um, when I interviewed Mayor, Mayor Bynum, he told me that he had, he's been getting calls from cities across the country where um, city officials or civic leaders are saying we're watching Tulsa to see how Tulsa handles uh, its search for mass graves. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, do you know of any other cities who have actually dug up or excavated? Well, you, uh, there is a, a, a site in New York, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a site of Sugarland, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, where they found the bodies of people, black men who had been imprisoned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, you know, massacres that occurred during that reign of terror, mm-hmm. I think and I believe that. That Tulsa is the first city to physically, physically search for them. Sure. Um, so it is that was that's what makes it historic. Mm-hmm. It it is historic, and again, when they actually found a mass grave, you know, that's just huge news. Mm-hmm. Right. I, you know, it's funny because, like I said, back to those comments that I read, that people have their own perceptions or misperceptions. So I remember reading one of the comments that said, well, it, apparently they cared about the people if they put them in, in, in um, coffins <laughs> and didn't just throw them in a hole. So I guess in people's minds, a mass grave is 
you know, we just dig a hole, throw the people in it, put mm-hmm. the dirt back over it, and let that be. Um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, does it matter if it, I mean, to me, it's like tomato, tomato, you know, coffin, non-coffin. It doesn't matter. There's too many people in this hole when there's only one marker. What do you guys think? I'm thinking they family was supposed to have the right. Mm-hmm. They should have never been in a massacre is number one. Right. And if something happened, that family, that's not closure. You right. don't grab people and just throw them, you know, yeah. in a great. Go ahead, Christy. Well, I, you know, I, I think that, and this is just my own perception, but I, I think that they only put those certain ones in coffins because they were prominent mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. black people during that time. But I do believe that there are some in there without a coffin. But these coffins were not coffins. It was right. just a, a wood box. box. Wood box. That this funeral home mm-hmm. actually billed the city, I mean, the county of Tulsa, Tulsa County for $25 per body. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what paid for right well uh, like according to like according to the scientists sure like right we always have to speak according to my reporting right right so um so according to my reporting i'm sitting in the press conference and the the lead archaeologist carrie stackleback who's pretty careful in what she says about the science she describes what they found as a mass Mm -hmm. grave absolutely and um she said uh, in the press conference on, I think it was Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday, she described they believe that there's evidence that these coffins may have been stacked one on top of each other. Yes. And as I said earlier, she believes that there may, may be, um, according if they extrapolate from the dig, she believes that what they uncovered this week was a third of the site. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there may be more coffins in this trench. And um, the way they define this as a mass grave is they were all in one trench. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the coffins were maybe an inch apart. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. a mass grave. That's a mass sure. grave. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and before they dug there, as you know, when you go out, when you went out into Oakland Cemetery mm-hmm. and we walked there sure. two years ago, you saw the two tombstones of every Eddie Lockhart and Reuben Everett, and the rest of it was grassy area, That's right? right. right. There were no other markers right. above ground, just two tom- tombstones. So when they dig next to those tombstones, they find a trench. Mm-hmm. That meant that they were unmarked, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. They were unmarked gra- graves, and that's what this unearthing of these unmarked graves and this discovery of the bodies that were in the ground that many – people have walked over for so many years, didn't know that they were down there. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they had no idea what lay beneath the ground. Mm-hmm. And you also have the forensic anthropologist, Phoebe Stubblefield, who's yes. well known around the world for her, her expertise in forensic anthropology. She also called this a mass grave. So I know that there are many people saying, well, how can it be a mass grave when they're in coffins? It is a mass. Trying to say it is a mass grave mm-hmm. because they're all in one trench, right. and, and there's evidence that they may may have been stacked on top of mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, right. And, and there me... were stairs carved right. into the ground where you could they, you could tell where people used it to walk down walk and to walk up easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know the thing is, what um, we haven't said is that you know when they did the ground um, penetrating radar. 
they found like little specks of metal. Mm -hmm. They didn't find bodies, but as they were out there digging, they said, we're going to go a different way Mm -hmm. so they wouldn't disturb the other bodies. Well, that different way is what they found. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Was the was those bodies, and when we did that dying, that picture of the dying, the where we were laying is where the trench is. Right. And as the name was talking about the two two the two tombstones, that's in the middle of that trench. Mm-hmm. So like I say, they, yeah, it is just one third of that trench mm-hmm. that they found. So just it's a lot, okay. and and I can't wait till March to get here. Right. So we can continue. And Mr. Neen, I want to ask you. Um, <laughs> Uh, back to the massacre, the 1921 race massacre. Are there any um, descendants or survivors of people that you have been able to interview, and what has that has that experience been like? Um, so I've interviewed. Well, you know, there are descendants mm-hmm. right here in Tulsa. You know, sure. Kevin yeah. Ross is a descendant. Mm-hmm. Regina Goodwin, um, Mr. Goodwin at the Oklahoma Eagle. They're, they're all descendants. I also interviewed um, Olivia Hooker. Mm-hmm. Who tells you know? Who t- told the story about being six years old when the massacre mm-hmm. occurs? And she, at that young age, believed in democracy, and she believed the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. <laughs> wow! And she, mm. You know, of course, she tells the story of her mother hiding her and her siblings underneath this dining room table and watching these. Um, she called them marauders. Right. So, you know, as as, you know, Tulsans, those Tulsans knew their education. (laughs) Right. And how they, um, you know, as a little girl looking out from under this table, uh, how they ate her mother's biscuits. Right. Mm -hmm. And she remembers how they they took her doll's clothes off the line and, and, and stomped them and how they took her mother's Caruso record Mm -hmm. and smashed her piano because they were so wealthy and uh, how that stayed with her and how she used to have nightmares about seeing that um, Mm -hmm. scene from underneath the table. Mm -hmm. And then the summer, I also um, reached out to Hal Singer, who uh, was born in Tulsa. He was a baby during Mm -hmm. the the massacre, but uh, he, uh, he was this great jazz composer musician who ends up living in Paris mm-hmm. in Paris and um, I was able to reach out to him in June and mm-hmm. um, get in touch with his wife and tell his story and that story was published in the Washington Post wow and mm-hmm. I'm glad that I I was able to write that you know before he passed on all right yeah that's an awesome story Bobby said we got a caller yeah we got a caller we're gonna go to the phone lines and see who's on the phone see who wants to talk to us to us here on the Bobby Eaton Show. So just hold on one second. Let's see what we got right here. Okay. Area code 918-402. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby Eaton, the king himself. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Chief. 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 How you doing? What's going on, man? my brother? Hey, Chief. Everything all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, right. it's happening, man. It's happening. Yeah, I just wanted to appreciate, uh, share my appreciation for uh, with Christy and Vanessa. You know, with them really pushing this story out there, and you know, really being the stepping stone to where we are right now, how we got here mm-hmm. uh, in this particular in, in this particular uh, phase of it, or this this this, this second opportunity. Um, 
Uh, and I'm grateful to hear uh, Deneen's voice and her taking this story into great consideration and handling it uh, with the care that it needs to be handled with, uh, because it's it's very it's it's very um, spiritual. It's very it's everything. You know, you really can't put a title to it, but I use the mm-hmm. word spiritual because it can encompass everything. Right. But, uh, I, and I want to thank you, Bobby, for really creating this space and this uh, outlet for this this magnificent story to unfold. And and you and you get to be alive while it's happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah right. absolutely. Thank you, my brother. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate uh, Damali and Charles for their extraordinary work that they do in the community. But I don't oh, want to take up a lot of time. I, hey, I, just Keith, to, I have uh, a question for you. Sure. Can you so so next steps? What is your hope? Um, because you've been, you know, uh, along with Vanessa and everybody else, right. you know, that are on the front lines of this, um, Christy. Um, what is your hope for where we go from here? Well, I'm I'm sitting on this phone, deeply embedded in a bunch of documents, human rights, international. Uh, documents concerning uh, the legalities and how do we how do we push for uh, further investigation? How do we make sure that this doesn't get um, you know this doesn't become a closed issue and you know just all the all the potential madness right <laughs> right uh that can happen right and it's it's going to require us to, it's going to require us educating ourselves and being very proactive about how we address this i mean even even making sure that we we place our feet on the ground when these events are happening right like mm-hmm. we have to be there to verify and we have to, we ourselves have to be highly educated about the subject matter because you know I'm thinking about like the discussion you all had earlier about this being a mass grave, and whether or not it's a mass grave. And right. I and I believe that, you know, I, I talked to um, uh, Carrie, and she she herself said, you know, we were looking for individual graves. Mm-hmm. That I don't think they expected to find a mass grave. I think they expected to find a bunch of bodies that were buried in a location because they were basing it off their some of their information off of what Scott Ellsworth was telling them and what the race riot commission report did, you know, because right. it made assumptions that they were, it made assumptions that they were buried in individual graves, but right. they were not mm-hmm. right. They were buried in a mass grave, but to get to your question, it's not a matter of hope. It's a matter of responsibility, mm-hmm. right? We, we, can't, we can't, we can't, we can't rely on, on hopefulness. We have to rely on ourselves. We have to rely on, our ability to be responsible, to be resilient, to be like B.C. Franklin was, you know what I'm saying, and trying to sustain and keep our legacy alive. And it mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. but, the, but the big thing is this. <clears throat> we have to hold everybody who is working on this project accountable, and we have to make yeah. sure people are on the ground who understand, who understand what they're looking at because yeah. the things that they're discovering in that location – you know, even at the first dig, they don't know the difference between um, they don't they don't understand traditional spiritual burial practices from that time period amongst Native and African people. Mm-hmm. And when you don't understand that, and you find you find items in a grave 
you think is common trash or domestic items. Right. And you don't right. know what you're looking at, right? So you need cultural anthropologists on the ground who understand how we executed burial practices after we found, after we realized, okay, there's a mass grave in uh, Oakland Cemetery. We have people told us that they were there. All right, so we got, there are things we got to do spiritually to rectify that. Right. And we did it. So, you know, when, when you have people, just as an example, we had an oversight meeting, and this is why I said I don't rely on hope. And one of the scientists said, well, we, not, we can't really pursue criminal charges because uh, it's highly unlikely that the perpetrators are alive. And I said, well, if you got victims alive, what makes you think you can't have perpetrators alive? You shouldn't, think, right. you shouldn't speak with such You shouldn't speak in an absolute manner, so perhaps you should stick to science. <laughs> right. Right? right. Because, because, you're speaking, because you're speaking to a topic that you're not versed in. That's not your right. profession, right? You don't you don't have, you don't hold a you know, you're not a you're not an attorney, right? right. We, when we when we ask for legal advice, we'll ask an attorney. When we want forensic advice, we'll ask the forensic investigator, right? So right? We have to be there. We have to be there to ask those critical questions to reexamine everything mm-hmm. that comes up and accept nothing is fact, right? Yeah. That we don't see ourselves. So right. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'm just saying we need to be responsible. We need to be highly responsible. We need to make sure that all these people who are speaking to the press, we need to look at their their intent, right? Like yeah. What's their motive? Yeah. What, what is it they're doing? Right. What are they trying to promote? What storyline are they trying to promote? How are they getting their information? Like we got to really be critical at this point in our thinking, so that the city. The, I just one said thing that. that didn't, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I didn't want the city to do, I, I didn't want the city to Columbus with the find. Like, we right. found. Right. You, know, you, already, you already knew that there were graves, that graves were, people were, black people were buried in Oakland Cemetery. You already knew that. So let's not say, when we hit the press, let's not say we found, right, that we made yeah. this discovery. Right. No, mm-hmm. what we did is we uncovered the truth we already knew. Mm-hmm. Then what right. you discovered, what that team discovered, was an actual mass grave. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then on top of that, now we got to prove that they have to prove that these are not Spanish flu victims. Right. They have to now prove that they are in fact bodies that were that have been inflicted trauma. And once we do that, then we can say, okay, now it's time for us to do our ritual. Now it's time for us to do our work. Right now that you got your legalities and all your stuff out of the way, but in the in that process, we have to know what we're looking at, right? So yeah. the last day on the site, I told them, I said, listen, based on the diagrams that we've drawn of these caskets in here, the the funeral records tell us that a stillborn was buried in this trench, mm-hmm. and there is a very small box, a very small coffin, in that trench where that stillborn would have been buried. That's the kind of stuff that's not getting out there, that people are no. not hearing about, right? You, well, you know, it's, so, it's, it's, gotten, it's, go it's happening now. Right. You know, yeah. so we got to go forward, Chief, man, and continue on the, uh, standing yeah, in the trenches and unveiling all of this because the pimple has burst, mm-hmm. you know, and... Yeah. Uh, that's right. 
It's out there, and the world is looking mm-hmm. at Tulsa, and uh, we got to get – see, murder was committed. Right. right. Murder right. was committed, mm-hmm. you know. Nothing but murder. murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I shoot somebody yeah. today, you know what I mean, I need to get charged for murder. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. There's no statute limitation. There's no statute limitation. Right. Right, Christy. And I, will, and I will say this. I will say this because this is very important. One of the things people need to know, the public needs to know, is should we decide, because there's this question of whether, whether or not we pursue criminal charges, right, against it. We look, for, we look for perpetrators. The problem with that is this. State of Oklahoma laws, uh, forensics law, and, and the criminal investigation – what, what happens is, should they intern those, should they, should they dig up those bones? Those bones could mm. stay indefinitely in the hands of the state. Right. Because it, you have to, you'd have to find the perpetrator, mm-hmm. right? And I, I strongly suggest against it. What I suggest well, we do. We know who the perpetrator we, was. We have, it's the city of There you go. That, now city you know what I'm going. It is so, so we don't need to look for an individual. The entity is the city of Tulsa because the, the city, city of Tulsa, Tulsa the county, we, the whole county, the mm-hmm. county allowed the it's the county that allowed a, a mass grave that did business to allow a mass grave to be placed in a city cemetery. The city and the county are responsible. They're yes, culpable for yes, crimes against humanity. For crimes yeah. against humanity. That's what we're talking about. So we don't need to look for an individual. We need this is a this this that was a mass a mass crime. Oh, for sure. Right on, on a on a on a collective group of people. So when we right. when we go out and we pursue charges, it needs to be under that understanding. It needs to be with that understanding that there we're not talking about individuals being accountable. We're talking about the city deputized people to do this work. Right. right. So it that's who's responsible. Yeah. Right. The well, city is still alive. The mm-hmm. perpetrator is still alive. Right. Okay. Well, hey, man, look here. We're coming to the close of the show. And, man, thank you for all that great information and all yeah. the work you do in the community yes, and in this you, city Chief. and the knowledge that you spread, man. You're a great man. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, my hat always goes off to you, my brother. Continue doing Love the work. You, you yeah. front line. Love you, Chief. Yeah. Love you, too, Chief. Yeah, thank you, Chief. Okay? Yeah, thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All right, we're on the Bobby Eaton Show, and as we come to the close, hey, Deneen, hey, thank you for showing up here yeah. at Eaton Media Services, KBOB 89.9, and sharing your stories, you know. Christy, you've been here a million times. <laughs> you know, you keep on coming home, girl, you know what I mean? Am. Charles and Damali, you know, y'all know who fam, we see each yeah. other all the time and yeah. continue to do the work in the community, you know, and these stories need to be told. Right. You know, and they need to be told. And we told some of them today. So if you guys out there listening and you heard this information, relay this information. Mm -hmm. Don't sit on it now, you guys. Sure. Tell your children, tell everybody, tell your community, wherever you're at here on the globe, and uh, because it needs to be known. Absolutely. Anything in closing you guys want to say? Just, um, you know, follow the story. Read the news articles. You can Google and see her amazing articles uh, and and follow her on Twitter. I like her Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) You like her Twitter, huh? Okay. Right. 
Well, thank you so much for having me this evening. It was a pleasure to be here. It was quite an honor to be in the studio with Bobby Eaton mm-hmm. it, and the amazing panelists and mm-hmm. Charles and Bobby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Christy. Um, thank you to everybody in Radio Land out there. <laughs> uh, it is uh, Radio Land. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Thank you. I have much gratitude for the work that's being done uh, by the activists in the streets. Yeah. Well, hey, well, thank you guys. Okay. <laughs> All right. And that's the way it's going to go. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show every Monday, Wednesday, and uh, Saturday. Well, Monday, let's see, Monday and Wednesday, 6 p.m., and on Saturdays from 12 to 2 p.m. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, KBOB 89.9 FM. And we want you to do that. So, hey, until the next time, we want you to have a good one.